Experience the feeling of powder floating up to your goggles. Take in a sweeping panoramic view from atop a mountain ridgeline. Feel the thrill of laying an edge on perfect corduroy and arcing a sweeping turn. Relax in front of a crackling fireplace at the end of a great day on the mountain. Welcome to Inside the Mountain Collective, the podcast series that takes you on a journey to the dream destinations included on the Mountain Collective Pass. Each episode will take you on a collective trek, visiting two or more resorts, giving you local insights into how to maximize your Mountain Collective Pass and to explore some of the sport's most exhilarating destinations. Check it out today at mountaincollective.com. Now join us on a collective trek with our local guides on Inside the Mountain Collective. America's Rocky Mountains offer some of the most stunning peaks in the world. Big time annual snowfall, bold sweeping runs. Today we'll take you on a collective trek through Colorado and New Mexico to three resorts that offer you a wide array of scenery and ski runs. We'll start this collective trek with a trip to Denver International Airport and the short drive to the top of the Continental Divide and on to Arapaho Basin. After a couple days at a basin, we'll head south to New Mexico and the legendary Taos Ski Valley. Finally, we'll make our way back to Colorado exploring all four mountains at Aspen Snowmass. This collective trek will provide you with three unique experiences. To maximize your planning value, Put the trail maps up on your screen and follow along with our mountain guides. To kick it off, let's head to Arapahoe Basin. It's an easy drive west from Denver International Airport on I-70. But before you hit the tunnels, exit I-70 and head up U.S. Highway 6 to climb up and over the Continental Divide. I remember my first experience as a Midwesterner driving out to Colorado and stopping at the top to soak in the view. After that, it's just a few miles down to the resort. A Basin dates back to the 1930s and has long been known as a real skier's mountain. Our guide is local Zach Ryan, a New England transplant who found A Basin a few years ago and has never left. He knows every nook and cranny of the mountain and spends each day he can exploring new terrain. Now let's join Zach Ryan for a tour of Arapahoe Basin. And today on Inside the Mountain Collective, we are going to Arapahoe Basin in Colorado, a spectacular little resort tucked into the Continental Divide just west of Denver. And our guest is local Zach Ryan. Zach, thanks a lot for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Tom. Now, I, I just we're going to talk more in detail about A Basin in a little bit, but you really live in, in such an amazing place. And I know from my trips out to the Rockies, that, that trek over uh, the uh, Continental Divide is just breathtaking. And dropping into to A Basin, uh, it's, it's quite, a, quite a feel there to be in the midst of the mountains. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, A Basin is just about an hour, a little over that from Denver. Um, and you come up I-70 and... A lot of times you're dealing with some pretty crazy I-70 traffic, but you get off right before Loveland Pass where um, a lot of times that Loveland Pass or through the tunnel is where stuff really hits the fan for traffic. Um, So it's nice with A-Basin, you can get off right before the tunnel, you go up and over Loveland Pass and uh, you can get your car to, I think, something like 13,000 feet um, and you're truly at the top of the Continental Divide. So it's some really, really amazing views and um, it really gives you that high alpine feel as you're arriving to A-Basin. 
I remember the first time that we did that and we went up and over on Highway 6 and got to the top of the pass and we were flatlanders from the Midwest and man, that was just spectacular to be at the top of the Rockies and kind of look over there to the west, southwest and see Arapaho Basin. It's quite an amazing place. Yeah, it's definitely a very special mountain. Now, let's talk about how you got there. You're a kid from New Hampshire and you somehow found your way out west and it looks like you're really hooked there. Yeah, you know, I've uh, spent about eight years here in the Rockies. I, I moved here just two days after I graduated college. Um, I lined up a, a summer job at a ski summer camp here in Summit County. And um, so that was my first experience to get out to the Rockies. But um, I very quickly fell in love with these mountains. You know, East Coast has such a phenomenal ski culture, um, but you just don't get quite the same snowfall. You don't get the same terrain. So I think most East Coast skiers, once they arrive here, they really get a, a special connection to the area. You have truly lived the ski bum life, uh, living out of your van and just kind of moving around. I mean, what's your lifestyle like there? So, you know, most people will tell you to live in a ski town, there's a lot of good times and a lot of opportunities to play. But um, especially in a place like Summit County, it's, it's really important that you work just as hard as uh, you're skiing. Um, you know, it's not easy to make it work. It's not easy to pay rent. Um, so, you got to be willing to put the time in and really be here for the right reasons. You know, one of the things that I really like about you, Zach, is the uh, the little entrepreneurial project you have with Summit Brunch, uh, making brunches and taking them up to the top of 14ers around Summit County. Yeah, so that was just uh, something that started as fun cooking breakfast with friends when we'd go on hikes and um, bringing a little one burner backpacking stove. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people will say that the pandemic changed our world altogether, but there was a lot of creative forces that came out of the pandemic. Um, and for me, that was, that was summer brunch. I, I lost my job as a fine dining server. Um, and that kind of gave me the kick in the butt to see if I could start a little entrepreneurial spirit and um, turn summer brunch into an actual business. Well, it's pretty amazing what, what, what you're doing there. Let's talk about the mountain a little bit. And first of all, just the setting. We touched on it earlier right there on the Continental Divide. But what's that vibe like as you look up on the mountain at Arapahoe Basin and see the cragged ridge line up there right along the Continental Divide? What does that feel like? It's really incredible for being here in the United States. Um, and most of A Basin's terrain is above treeline. Um, and it's just, it's really fascinating. You get up to that mid mountain chairlift. And, uh, once you get up Lenaway, which is the second chairlift going up to the summit of a basin, um, you're well above tree line. There's no trees anywhere. And you really do feel like kind of that high Alps experience where, um, it's just craggy and it's, it's au naturel, you know, as good as it gets. I remember my first time out there. I think it was in the springtime when we skied, which is an amazing place to be there. But that sensation when you're above the tree line and you just have skiing everywhere, runs going in every which direction. It's really a special feel. Yeah, no, it's it's incredible because it's one of those things where uh, if it's a bluebird day and you can just see for miles, you, you get a true perspective. Um, but then there's also those cloudy days or pow days and um, it can be pretty surreal up there sometimes where you're, you're, there's no tree lines to really orient yourself or orient yourself or where you're headed and you just gotta have some trust that you know the mountain.
One of the other things that I like about Abe Basin is this feels like those great ski areas of the past. Phenomenal mountain, but this is a resort that I think started back in the 40s and you know, today has some of those great family ski area characteristics. Uh, how would you characterize, uh, for, for somebody coming there for the first time, what's the character of the place? Does it still have that kind of old-time feel of the mountain that, that some of us are accustomed to from the past? Most definitely. It's like, you know, here at A Basin, um, they have all the amenities you need for skiing. And that's it. There's no massive resort village. Um, there's no lodging here at A Basin. Um, there's only one, two restaurants or kind of food courts here at A Basin. Um, we still have this A-frame lodge, the classic lodge that uh, was built way back in the day. And it's like the parking lots are dirt. You don't have all this crazy hustle bustle of the mega resorts. And it really, you get that family feel. You, you see all the same people every day. You get to know the lifties, you get to know the food and beverage staff. So it really does have that family vibe that you would get at, you know, an old timey ski area. So if you have a mountain collective pass, we're kind of building a collective trek. And I'd say a little bit of an eclectic one with this one. We're looking at a basin. We're looking at Taos down in New Mexico and Aspen uh, in Colorado. Uh, but when you come to the ski area, so I'm, I'm coming out on my collective trek. I've got my skis ready to go. I've got my mountain collective pass. I'm meeting you at the base at a basin. Where are you going to take me on day one up in the mountain? So, you know, right off the bat, A Basin is really cool because they do have um, some awesome access uh, anywhere on the mountain um, and really good skiing for all levels. Um, there's a few advanced expert skiing areas that uh, you definitely don't want to go if, if you aren't really confident in your ability. But for the most part, you can ride any chairlift at A Basin um, and have a great time, irrelevant of how good of a skier you are. Um, but usually, you know, there's the one main little base area. Um, and that's a really cool thing. It's one of those skiers where you can't really get lost. Uh, you can't get separated from your group. Um, you, so you show up to the base area. Um, there's the famous goat statue right in the base area. So you meet your friend at, at the goat. Um, and that's right next to the main, uh, chairlift, the black mountain express. It takes you from the base area up. Um, so, you know, if I'm getting with someone from the East coast or someone who hasn't skied here before, we're probably going to head up black mountain express. Um, and then right from black mountain express, you do a little traverse over to the Lenaway mountain lift. And that brings you to the summit of a basin. Um, it's so incredible that within a quick two lift rides, 10 or 15 minutes, and um, you get up to almost 13,000 feet. Um, I think the top of the chairlifts there are about 12 and a half. Um, you get 360 degree views of all of Colorado around you. It's really incredible. You know, I'm kind of a groomer guy, and I remember my first time at a basin. I wasn't really sure what to expect, but we went up those lifts, and we went up to that top peak. And I just remember some beautiful blue groomers coming down. So if, I, if, if that's me you're taking up in the mountain, where are you going to guide me down in my first run down the mountain? I think like the quintessential a basin run is that top to bottom run. Um, so you take those two lifts, the black mountain express, and then the Lenaway mountain lift, you're at the summit, you take in the views, it's bluebird day. Um, and then there's the main blue run that takes you down the front face of a basin. And that's called Lenaway face. Um, that connects into Durkham's Gulch. Um, and it's a pretty clear, you know, route of travel. It's not like you can really get lost. Um, it's pretty well signed. So it's, it's the obvious right off the top, uh, down the main gully of that, uh, front face. And then that connects you with, um, what, what they call high noon and high noon is another blue trail. That's, uh, kind of their quintessential early season run when people are 
you know, doing white ribbon a death season, but, uh, so it's really exciting to be able to just like two quick lifts. Um, and then you're getting almost 2000 vertical off the top. You know, and if you want to stay above the tree line, you can just lap the Lenaway lift, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, the Lenaway face Durkham's Gulch brings you right to the mid mountain area. There's an awesome restaurant, um, an, a perfect apres patio spot there, um, called black mountain lodge. So black mountain lodge is kind of like the, decision point where you can either take it left and um, ski back down to the base area, or you can just stay up high, um, hop back on Lenaway lift and do laps all day off of Lenaway. Cause that's all the above tree line stuff. Um, there's terrain varying from blues all the way to blacks and double blacks. Um, so it's a really cool chairlift up there to, to be in the high Alpine. Zach, I know that uh, your roots go back to park and pipe days and you've got plenty of opportunities up at a basin with the parks there, right? Yeah. So, you know, a basin has terrain parks, uh, usually starting on opening day. So they opened, I think it was October 14th or maybe the 17th this year. And right off the bat on opening day, they'll have a couple rails in the ground. Um, you know, we're in a pretty competitive area for terrain parks. Um, and a basin has options, but they, they know that, you know, that's not why they're here and that's not why most of their guests come, but it's a great family experience because they have a little bit of something for everybody. If you have that park rat, you know, kid, he can come slide some rails, hit a jump or two. Um, um, but mom and dad can be happy skiing some some more difficult terrain and staying out of the park. Let's flip over to the backside right now, and we're going to talk about the East Wall in just a minute. But first, take us into Montezuma Bowl. Yeah, Montezuma Bowl is just a killer experience. Um, doesn't open until a little later in the season, um, and it's a really, really special piece of terrain because um, it's south-facing, you know, so it gets a ton of sunshine. And that's a blessing and a curse in the sense that, you know, almost any day of the year you can go out there and it's going to be bluebird and warm. Um, and later in the season, you get some uh, incredible slush runs out there. Um, but the beginning of winter, usually the first couple of weeks after they open Montezuma um, and before we get some really hot temps or the, the springtime conditions, um, Montezuma is just has some incredible terrain. There's huge cliffs back there. Um, you can find really smooth 20, 30, 40 foot cliffs with perfect landings. Um, and it's just an interesting spot because it transitions pretty quickly. As soon as that sun comes out with the South facing terrain, it goes from a perfect power day to a slush field. Um, so it's a fun place to try and explore and uh, keep an eye on it for when that snow is going to be right. Zach, I was looking at one of your video edits today and you, in this particular edit, you went to the uh, East wall, which is just a signature area for Arapahoe Basin, a little bit tougher than what we've been talking about, but uh, take us over to East wall. Yeah. So I, mean, I think East wall is really a basin's crown jewel. Uh, you know, they just opened some other train called the steep goalies about two years ago. Um, and that's comparable with the East wall, but uh, most people look at that type of train and it's, it would be associated with backcountry skiing or those big movie parts you see in Alaska and stuff like that. But um, the East wall is steep. Um, it is rocky. It is advanced terrain. You got to hike up there. Um, so it's about a 15 to 30 minute hike, depending on how in shape you are. Um, but you get all the way up to 13,000 feet. Um, and again, you have those 360 degree views. Um, you can choose whatever line you want, but you got to be cautious because it is extreme terrain for sure. So when you go up there, I mean, what's a, what's a typical morning or afternoon for you up in the East wall? What, what runs are you going to hit? So the East wall has a whole bunch of different lines. Uh, they have four or five named uh, lines that you'll see on a trail map. And then they also have a whole bunch of other lines that 
get a, you have to be a little more intimate with that face to get into. But um, usually it's great to head up the uh, North Pole hiking gate. Um, you get to the top of Little Lenaway Mountain um, and you kind of get reach a summit. And then that's where you can put your skis on. Um, and then you traverse along the ridge and there's the first notch is the first round there, the second notch, uh, the narrow North pole, and then the North pole or the first four rounds available on the East wall. Um, so the North pole is where I think most people start. You got to traverse all the way along the ridge and it's a wide, it's pretty big and open. Um, but you still feel that really extreme terrain sense, but it's a great spot for people to start. Cause if you're a, an advanced skier, you're going to be able to make your way down the North pole. No problem. Um, and it's, it's just a really special experience to be in that high Alpine terrain. Zach, do you remember that first time you hit the East wall when you had just moved out from New Hampshire and what that first experience was like up there? Yeah. I mean, it was truly life-changing for me. Uh, I was a, always a park rat as a kid and I'll always love terrain parks. Um, so my first winter in Colorado, I was here the whole winter. Um, I was skiing a basing quite a bit, but mostly just in the parks or, um, other terrain parks around the area. And so I spent a lot of time skiing terrain parks that first winter. Uh, and then come springtime, the East wall takes a long time to fill, to fill in. And a lot of times you're not seeing East wall open until March. Um, and I remember watching it and, you know, they're all of a sudden started to do avalanche routes on it and you're seeing ski patrollers up there. And I was just so shocked that that was terrain that was actually going to be open to the public. Um, but I remember my very first hike, getting to the top of the east wall and there's some prayer flags up there and i did it all by myself and i was on a pair of pow skis that i'd had for many years and they were noodly they had no stiffness to them and i remember just making tiptoeing my way down the east wall because i was just in so over my head in terms of it was the first type of train ever where you you really are in some no fall zones you know there's exposure there's rocks all around you there's rocks below you and if you try and go in too heavy-headed and uh you know aren't skiing with respect to the mountain you might end up in a bad situation well, it it's, it certainly sounds like a great adventure, and that's really what A-Basin is all about. So uh, watch for when that's open in each year, and uh, if you can make that a part of your collective trek. It'll be quite an experience. Let's talk a little bit about Opry, first of all, at the mountain. And we're going to work our way over to tailgating, which I know is a signature of, uh, of A-Basin. But on the mountain, uh, what are the good spots to stop for a coffee, for a beer, for a pizza, for lunch? Where do you like to go? Um, so A-Basin has, yeah, a few options for food and beverage. Um, like we said, it is still that old school resort vibe. So um, you come into the main uh, lodge at the bottom of the mountain and uh, it's the A-frame base lodge. There's the six alley grill, uh, six alley bar and grill. And that is just like the spot to be. They have the mug club um, and every year on opening day, you know, people either choose, they're either going to get there at five in the morning to wait in the lift line um, or they're going to get there at five in the morning and wait in line to get their mug. Um, so that's a huge part of a basin is, uh, you know, Apre at six alley bar grow right at the bottom of the mountain. Um, you know, you can head up the, the first lift, the black mountain express, and they have a, just a beautiful mid mountain lodge that has a amazing patio. So in the springtime, you can sit out on the patio and, um, and as a perfect view of the East wall, uh, they do a ton of awesome barbecue options there. Um, so you can get a great brisket sandwich and, um, full racks of ribs, um, all smoked right there. So some really, really good barbecue, another killer bar at, uh, the mid mountain lodge. Um, and then they have a few new food and beverage offerings that they've brought in the last couple of years. Um, so given that kind of high Alpine and like Swiss Alps experience here at a basin that you get way up at the top, um, they opened, a uh, new restaurant two years ago uh, called Il Refugio. 
And that is at the very summit of A-Basin. So half the building is patrol headquarters. And then half the building is uh, Il Refugio. Um, and for Il Refugio, they serve awesome charcuterie boards, espresso, champagne. Um, so they're really hopping on that kind of Swiss Alpine style chalet. All up at 13,000 feet. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's, that building's just shy of 13, but um, it's incredible that you can sit in there and get some fresh sliced prosciutto and uh, some Prosecco or uh, even a champagne. And um, you just have windows on all sides of you. So you have beautiful views and it's a great spot to warm up. Um, and then they're also opening a new offering this year that is just below Il Refugio. So they built a brand new building, similar vibe with great windows and everything. So you can get out of the cold and the wind have the awesome food and uh, they're serving sausages and local beer. Um, and so that's going to be a really good spot to kind of stop for a quick snack. Got to talk about tailgating. A Basin is known for what goes on in the parking lot. And uh, it's a pretty amazing scene in the morning and again in the afternoon. Yeah. You know, and it, a Basin really kind of has a couple seasons. There's uh, the early season where usually they're the first resort in Colorado to open up. Um, it's pretty good weather. So you see some pretty exciting tailgating then. And then it kind of goes into the peak of winter um, and people are still out there, but it's cold. It's bitter up here at, you know, 10,000 feet. So it kind of dies down, but then a basin really is kind of the king of spring. Um, a lot of times they're open all the way through June. Um, there's years that they open up on the 4th of July. Um, and they have the beach, um, and the beach is like their tailgating spot. Um, so the beach is the parking row right along the snow. Um, so if you get a spot on the beach, you can put your boots on and ski right from the car and right back to the car. Um, and then it's just like so perfect for tailgating in the spring once the weather warms up um, and people bring their full size grill and you might see some kegs out there and um, people are doing work trips or inviting all their friends and having huge parties. So it is a really cool scene in the spring to, to be at the beach and um, get some tailgating in. Cool. Now, I know with no lodging up at a basin that the action is down in Silverthorne and Frisco and some of the other associated villages down there. Plenty of lodging down there. But uh, I want to in particular look at Frisco, which is one of my favorite towns, just what, 20 minutes or so away from a basin. Uh, But what are some of your favorite spots down in Frisco? Like if I want to go out and have a beer after skiing? Yeah, so Frisco is a beautiful little mountain town, and it's awesome because they don't necessarily have their own town. You don't get that, uh, like, mountain resort village vibe. Um, Frisco is a really quaint, beautiful little mountain town. It's just surrounded by these 13 and 14,000 foot peaks. But uh, my favorite spot in Frisco, without a doubt, is Outer Range Brewing. Um, Outer Range opened about six years ago, so it's relatively new to the county, but they hit the beer scene really heavy. Um, and they just have a beautiful building. Um, they have a, an awesome coffee shop there in the morning called Mountain Dweller Coffee. So you can go in first thing in the morning, get some locally roasted coffee, go hit the ski hill, and then you can come back down to range at the end of your day to have some of the best beer in the country. Well, you've given us a great tour of the mountain at Arapahoe Basin and the towns around. We're going to close out this episode of Inside the Mountain Collective with a section that we call Collective Dreams, a few favorites for you to chime in on. And uh, uh, Zach, if you had to pick your favorite groomer, your favorite groomer at A-Basin, what's it going to be? It's definitely a tough question because there's a lot of good ones, but I think I'm going to have to go over to the Pallavicini lift um, in the Hollywood line right under Pallavicini. It's called Roller Coaster. 
Um, it's awesome because it is a Hollywood line. You know, you get all your friends hooting and hollering at you off the chairlift. And uh, there's so many options we can take off of it. So let's go on the opposite end of the spectrum. So conditions are perfect. You've got all the snow you need. You got the light that you need, whatever it is. What's your favorite tough run at A Basin? I think I would have to say it's getting up and over to the snorkel nose, uh, the snorkel door. So uh, that's one of those runs on the east wall. Um, you're not going to take the main North Pole hiking gate, but you do the traverse that takes you below the east wall and you get over to what's called Willie's Wide Staircase. Um, and it's just this incredible looking boot pack that you can see from the lift. And it's literally just a stair step. Um, and you're, you're hiking, I think, 800 vertical straight up. And it is a tough hike, um, but you get to the top and then you got to keep pushing over just over one little ridge and you get into the snorkel nose and the snorkel door. And it's just this incredible high alpine experience where you're surrounded by rocks. You feel like you're in a really tight couloir um, and the snow just gets buried in there. So it's a tough hike. Um, you break a sweat for sure, but it's always worth it. Okay, let's go to lunch now. You're on the mountain. You're having a great time all morning. You want to take a break about noon or one o'clock. What's your favorite on-mountain stop for a quick lunch? Without a doubt, last year at uh, Black Mountain Lodge, they introduced grab-and-go burritos. Um, and the burritos had like uh, sweet potato fries. They had some of the brisket in there, barbecue sauce. Um, so it's like a really affordable, it was like seven or $8 for this massive burrito. Like, you know, the size you get, if you go to any good burrito shop, um, and you can hardly finish it, but it's perfect because it's greasy and filling and fattening. Um, but it's great when you're out there in the cold and you, you know, if it's a pow day, you can grab a burrito to go toss it in the pocket and then eat it on your way going up Lenaway. Yeah, burritos are just great pocket food, so a great inside tip. And then lastly, and this one might challenge you a little bit, if you had to describe a basin and what it means to you in just one word, what would that one word be, Zach, to describe a basin? So much that comes to mind um, when you're skiing a basin, when you're driving up the hill, but um, I think if I had to tone it down to just one word, it would probably be serenity. It's just a, a real sense of peace. As soon as you get into the parking lot, you know you're, you're happy. You're in the right place. You're relaxed, and it's going to be a good day when you pull into the parking lot at A-Basin. A-Basin is a great place to start or continue your collective trek with the Mountain Collective Pass. Zach, thank you so much for joining us on Inside the Mountain Collective. Yeah, Tom, thank you so much for having me. I was stoked to represent A-Basin here. Thanks to Zach Ryan for our tour of Colorado's A-Basin Resort. Next, we'll head to a truly magical place, the Taos Ski Valley in New Mexico. Save a day for the stunning drive. Heading south from A-Basin, you'll climb up and over Hoosier Pass and then pick up U.S. Highway 285 for a rifle barrel ride through a high desert valley, a nearly straight shot down to Taos. Taos Ski Valley was pioneered by Swiss native Ernie Blake, who spotted it on a small plane fight and set about building a ski area along the flanks of Wheeler Peak in the 1950s. Taos has been a place of legend among ski resorts and another true skier's mountain. Our mountain guide is local Tanya McCormick. She and her husband used to make regular backcountry trips to the area from their home in Colorado before finally making the move permanent. 
Tanya will take us around the mountain and introduce us to the local scene. She'll even share some tips on maybe using Taos as your airline gateway for this collective trek. There are flights to Taos directly on Taos Air from select Western markets. This is a big mountain with lots for everyone, so let's get on the lifts as Tanya McCormick introduces us to Taos Ski Valley in New Mexico. Now on Inside the Mountain Collective, we are going to Taos, New Mexico, and with us today is one of those hardcore local Taos skiers, Tanya McCormick. And Tanya, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So how did you end up in Taos? Uh, I, I know just a little bit about your background. You are a dyed-in-the-wool skier, and I think this is probably the perfect mountain for you. But how did you find your way to Taos? That's actually an interesting, longer story. Uh, I'm originally from New York area. I grew up skiing in Vermont with my family once a year on those icy slopes. Uh, one time in high school, my family took a trip out west, and I fell in love with New Mexico everything about it. I was just wooed. Uh, I ended up an art major in upstate New York. And as an art major, you stay obsessed with the New Mexico area, of course. So I always had this agenda item to move out here. My husband and I moved to Colorado in 2012. And while we were there, we were avidly skiing the I-70 slopes. And once a year, we would come down to Taos with our friends uh, actually, our very first trip, we did Bull of the Woods, which is a backcountry experience to a yurt. And we all were like, this is amazing. We're going to come every year. So we started coming every single year. It was a huge trip. All of our friends did together. We were excited for it. We planned for it. We couldn't wait every year. And eventually I was like, I want to buy something down here so that we can come whenever we want. That turned into every time we came, we never wanted to leave. <laughs> So we basically, uh, I think it was about four years ago, we finally bought a pass to Just House, which came with a few days at A Basin. So we became the reverse. We started going to A Basin on the flip side, but mostly to Taos. And um, eventually last year, so June of 2020, we were like, you know what, let's move here full time. We would rather be in Taos and it breaks our heart every time we have to drive back north again. Let's be here so honestly, what it really came down to, we, my husband and I are huge, avid skiers. And every time we were in Colorado, um, it just was getting more crowded, more flooded. And we were like, you know what, when we go to Taos, it's quieter, it's more relaxing. The light here is just magical and different than anywhere else. And they're like, let's just be here. Uh, we also are big backcountry skiers. And so there's a lot of area here that doesn't have the crowds you see up in Colorado, so it's safer. Uh, so that also drew us to come down here more often. Tanya, we're going to explore the mountain with you in a bit and learn some of your secret stashes. But if you look at just the region and the mountains around there that you explored in, in backcountry, what are the characteristics of the mountain range there that really lured you to New Mexico? Honestly, it's, you know, it is different from Colorado a little bit just because we're a little more south and the way we face is a little, especially Taos Ski Valley, it faces in a direction where the snow stays longer. Uh, but it's not incredibly different from the aspect of, um, you know, it's still the Rockies. It's just the light here. There is this magnificent sunshine that is kind of different from anywhere else. And then that combination with the high desert 
it's beautiful. You come down from the mountains and all of a sudden you're in this landscape with the Rio Grande Gorge. You're just like, you can't see that anywhere else. Absolutely beautiful. You know, so you could do in one day a backcountry run that is breathtaking and the snow is extra powdery and dry. And then you're rafting in the gorge on class five rapids that you can't get anywhere else. Um, not to mention the fishing phenomenal. So it really just, it's the full experience that comes together for me. Uh, but obviously you could nitpick over different things of how the powder lands and how it dries here and how it's different from anywhere else as well. Well, I think what you say about the light, being a photographer myself, I know that New Mexico is noted for that, be it the desert landscapes that you have in New Mexico or the high mountain peaks. There is also great heritage to Taos. It was one of those early mountains uh, formed back in the 50s. Can you tell us a little bit of, about the story of Ernie Blake and how Taos came into to fruition back in the 50s? Yeah, so Ernie Blake was obsessed with the area. Um, and everyone who knows Taos knows Ernie Blake, right? He was this incredible founder figure. Actually, um, New Mexico True just did a really great little spot on him and his, you know, founding of the mountain. So he used to fly over here in his little plane and he would eye it and he'd be like, I'm that spot is going to be a resort and it's going to be incredible. Right. So he did it. It was definitely not an easy task. Uh, the road itself is if anyone's driven it, it's a, it's a fun Canyon road that winds up It's single lane. It was actually a mining town, uh, twining. So that mining town was there and he built it up from that him and his wife Rhoda which we have you know there's a restaurant named after Rhoda as well uh, but that heritage so Ernie Blake was from Europe right and he brought over with him a lot of these European ski traditions which we they're still at the mountain today so it's really neat because the Bavarian has the German influence food hall um Ski Weeks that Jean Mayer, his good friend, started and ran for the entirety of its existence until a few years back. Um, you know, Ski Weeks are very much a European thing, uh, and it still exists at Taos Ski Valley as a way to learn and grow and meet other people who are passionate about skiing. So there's tons of that influence up there at the mountain from Ernie and his family and the continued European heritage. Well, let's head up on the mountain, Tanya. And I know this is your home in the winter and you're just, you know, itching to, to be out there whenever you can. This is a tough ski mountain and it's got a lot of opportunity, a lot of terrain for everybody, some amazing peaks. Uh, give us a little, little introduction to, you know, if you're coming out to Taos for the first time, where do you want to spend that first day? Ooh, that first day. Well, we'll say when you come up to Taos for the first time, there is a sign right there that says, don't panic. Uh, it's actually iconic. A lot of people recognize it because it's in a lot of photos. It's basically saying, hey, this isn't the only bit of our mountain to see. Uh, it is much more expansive than what you see when you first roll in. Like you just see the first front hill. That's not it at all. There is a whole massive area to cover. In your first day, you can't cover it all, and you won't. <laughs> However, um, it really depends on your, a few things I always say, right? How much snow, where's the snow at right now? And how comfortable are you hiking? How comfortable are you in shoots, trees? You know, where's your level on that front? 
If you're looking to just kind of groomer it around, that's fine. There's plenty of that on the front side and the back side, and there's variety, so you're not going to get bored. But if you're looking to challenge yourself, there's tons of that. Um, you just really have to figure out what you want to achieve in that first day. I always recommend, um, and this it's a running joke that my husband will torture anyone with this. The first time they come to our mountain and you get on that lift, he will make you go for a hike right away, right away. Like just get it through your system, go on your very, go on a hike. Um, and on day one. On day one, run one. He will make you hike. Um, I don't personally take that rule if you don't want to do it, but I do think it's a good one to try out. What you do is you take lift one, you take lift two, and you're right there at the at the hike. And you can take that hike to the two sides. You can go west or you can go east. So you can go to West Basin or Highline Ridge. And depending on what you're in the mood for, both will be a lot of fun. So you can jump into some shoots or you can go over to our, um, you know, to an open area over on Highline Ridge. That's a recommendation. Another recommendation is you kind of, before you go on a hike, why don't you try just heading over to Lorelei and Sir Arnold Line and doing some really nice runs over there that are still challenging, still fun, but you didn't have to take your skis off to do them. Those are tree runs, right? Yep. Tree runs. There's a little bit of, you know, depending which direction you go in, you could get a little bit of a shoot, a little bit of, um, you know, a tiny hint of a bowl or a drop down, but there are mostly trees over there. So if, if I want to come out to Taos, I'm a, uh, I'm a business executive and I'm going to take a, some time to come out and uh, use my mountain collective pass and hit a few areas out in Colorado and come on down to Taos. If I want to make that run that I can really go back and brag about, where can I get the biggest bragging rights at Taos? Kachina. Kachina. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So Kachina Peak is, um, it's not always open, so you won't necessarily get your bragging rights if it's not open because it is a heavily mitigated area. We open Kachina to the public for hiking first, right? And that is a badge of honor, right? If you haven't hiked Kachina, you get some looks, right? Like you got to hike Kachina. It's a long hike and it's not an easy hike, uh, but it's a fun one. And when you get to the top, you feel like I did it. And then you get to ski this incredible steep area. When the lifts are running, you get to cheat the whole system and you can just take the lift up and run it again and again and again. And honestly, after a snowstorm, for weeks after, you will find a powder stash all over the Kachina Peak area. Uh, it just is full of different opportunities, including the big open area with Main Street right down the middle, or you can hit over to some of the other tinier runs and shoots that are a lot of fun. If you, and I'm looking at the trail map now, if you're going to hike Kachina, do you do that off of uh, the top of lift four? No, you do it off of the top of lift two. So you actually end up taking that same hike that you would do to Highline Ridge and you keep going. <laughs> so you're looking at the map um, and you can see kind of right around you know, I think it's Trezcal and Twin Trees, which, by the way, are some of my other favorite runs. You keep going up and up and up, and then you hit it. 12,481. That's the elevation there. It's a pretty high, uh, pretty high peak. It's a high peak, and it's worth it. So if, and this is more in my uh, wheelhouse, but if I want to go and just lay down some nice groomers, what are your recommendations there? 
You know, one of my favorite runs to do is around the world. It's just, you kind of, you hit up, um, you can go over to four from two and just kind of take this nice lazy run and you can hit up a few, you can do their do, you know, lower patent or, um, go over to honeysuckle on the backside. And then you come all the way around on Rubizol and we call it around the world. It's just this nice way to get the full sweep, take a nice long casual run down the mountain and enjoy the surroundings. Another great spot if you want to hit up the front instead, and especially at the end of the day where the sun is still kind of shining up there and you can get a good view, is if you take Bambi down the front, right? Bambi has a really cool lookout spot called Doobie Rock. And then the other lookout spot is on Porcupine called Joint Point. You can see there's a trend here. There's definitely Um, a theme here. A theme, right? But two really great spots where you just get this gorgeous, breathtaking view of the valley, of the Rockies around you, the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. You know, it's just, why not end your day with something like that? That sounds beautiful. Before we move off the mountain and talk a little bit about the vibe of the community, I want, if you could, to just kind of go back into your memory bank and maybe relive a memorable day or a memorable run that you had on the mountain. One of those days where it all came together, whether that's the powder, the sunlight, the snow conditions, but a great memory of skiing a phenomenal run at Taos. You know, the one that's coming into my head right now is from last winter. Now, mind you, I was very pregnant, (laughs) still skiing as my doctors did not recommend. And me and a friend went out and it was actually blinding. The snow was so, it was so thick and the clouds were so thick. You could barely see in front of you. And we, you know, there was mask wearing rules. We were wearing our masks and the masks were like fogging up the goggles and we were having a hard time seeing, but we were laughing, right? We were just like, this is just so fun. We're at the top of the mountain we had just hiked up Highline Ridge and we were headed over to um, Twin Trees. And at one point, my friend, she falls deep into, <laughs> she's trying to put her skis back on after hiking and her boot goes like straight down through into a hole and she's stuck in the hole. So we're laughing about that. And then we make our way over to Twin Trees and we're skiing back there. And the snow, there was so much snow, she wiped out on one of her turns, right? Because it's sometimes tricky. She wipes out on a turn. And so we're having this moment laughing together. And out of nowhere, this person dressed in nothing special, probably, you know, the same jacket they've had for the last 20 years, comes bombing down, just like, and a full beard covered in snow. The person went and just amazing line right in front of us as we're sitting there laughing. And we both just kind of took in a deep breath and went, oh, it was the ghost of Taos. Like it was this classic person who you would see on Taos Mountain, just like not fancy gear, not dressed up to impress, and probably the best skier you've seen in an extremely long time. Like just dropped our jaws. And that day, you know, weather was insane. It wasn't a blue sky morning. It was a wild blizzardy scene. Yet we had the time of our lives. We had this moment where we saw this person that was an enigma to our imagination for all we know. Um, And yet we had this incredible set of turns on one of my favorite runs on the whole mountain. 
Wow. It's amazing what memory, how memories are made. It's the little things like that, isn't it? Exactly. What a great story. What wow, a great story. <laughs> so let's talk about the vibe of the community. And, and, and I want to start with just the, uh, the, the dining and the opera that you have up at the mountain. I mean, this is not a big opera mountain, but you have some amazing cool spots like, like the Bavarian as an example. Yeah, so that goes back a lot to, you know, you were asking me about the heritage of the mountain. And yes, Ernie Blake brought the influence of Europe, but Taos is an extremely unique place, especially compared to other ski resorts, because we are in a location where we have influences of Hispanic culture, the Pueblo, the arts collectives who are here, you know, and, and then yes, of course, the European influence from Ernie Blake and that family. So it's this very strange, you know, it's created this incredible influence on the food and beverages and, and culture of the mountain and the larger area. So up at the resort, there's the Bavarian, obviously, that I mentioned, which is German style comfort foods. Um, you can go get, you know, your bratwursts as well as um, giant steins, which um, I think they were really excited to have those back because Last year, I think they weren't doing them because of COVID, so they're back. Um, you know, so that's that's obviously very well known. Everyone loves the Bavarian. There's a huge deck out front where you can sit and stare up at the people coming down from Lift Four. Um, so there's that. Then we have, um, you know, we have some local favorite spots like Rotas and Snake Dance, which are popular for opera ski. And you can always find locals hanging out there, enjoying a drink, laughing about their day. Um, and then 192 is uh, 192 at the Blake is a, you know, more upscale eating establishment for dinner that's very popular. And it's influenced by the local area, the foods that we have here in the local area, as well as um, the available uh, farm to table kind of offerings that are available in the area. And that's all right at the resort. Right there. Yeah. And do you have lodging at the resort as well? Yes. There's the Blake. Uh, there's the Blake, there's snake dance condos. Um, you know, there's a bunch of options, uh, beyond those. So tons, tons up there. And then as well as down in town, obviously. Well, let's go down to town for a minute. And the town of Taos is well known. It's a it's a real cultural center, way going way beyond skiing, and really speaks to the culture of New Mexico. Give us a little introduction as to what we can see down in and experience down in the village of Taos. Yeah. So the village of Taos. So, like I said, as a high school kid, I was wooed by the area as an art major. Um, the art scene is fantastic. There's galleries. Uh, there's first Fridays that people can go to where all the galleries are open to the public and everyone walks around. There's a party scene. Uh, there's a plaza, which is very popular. Taos town, everything is in the Adobe design. So that architectural element that was influenced by the Pueblo and then has been expanded throughout the area is what you'll see when you come here. So very unique to us, unique to this area. Um, that's the Pueblo as uh, well as the plaza. The Pueblo is closed this winter to the, um, you know, greater public. Hopefully that'll be back open soon, but that's an incredible experience. Uh, it's the longest standing, uh, living reservation area. So it's, it's just a re really unique spot and it's a place that people still live today and have their families and their lives. So, um, there's that the food, 
I could go on for way too long about, so I'll try and keep it short. Uh, but basically, the food's amazing, um, and it's a wide variety. There obviously are amazing burritos if you're on a burrito hunt specifically. Uh, Monty's Chow Car is my favorite. I just got lunch there an hour ago. Um, you can head, get a nice burrito there, but otherwise, there's some really great sit-down establishments. Um, I think with the ski crowd especially, I know that Orlando's is like a part of a family tradition where, you know, you stay at the mountain, but you go into town to go to Orlando's for dinner. Um, La Cueva is another one. Same with Antonio's on the south side of town, which is Mexican influenced, um, but finer dining Mexican food. Absolutely delicious. Um, Guadalajara is a famous locals spot because it's just it's easy. It's kind of, you know, it's, you go up to the counter, you order, you sit down. Um, and then there's, you know, obviously high scale dining spots like the love apple, um, ASAC and a few others, if you're looking for, um, a classier meal, romantic dinner. So if, if somebody's coming out to Taos for a few ski days on their mountain collective pass, is it also reasonable to maybe go and spend a night or two in Santa Fe? Of course. Yeah, it's um so it's about an hour and a half away. It's an absolutely gorgeous drive. Um, you're along the canyon the entire way down, and you end up in Santa Fe, which is also all you know Adobe architecture, museums. Obviously, there's a George O'Keefe Museum. There's a lot of other museums there that are incredibly um, renowned and awesome. There's Meow Wolf, which is a very popular spot for ages of all like all ages are welcome at meow wolf it's little kids are enjoying it and so are adults because it's just out of this world different um and then obviously there's a shopping scene a food scene of its own too you know if you have a mountain collective pass and you want to make a trip out there in the region you can also go up to aspen in colorado as well as a basin and you know as, as people are probably planning out their trips right now and figuring out how do i go to these different mountain collective resorts you actually offer an interesting transportation option taos actually has its own airline now and you can actually fly right into taos correct yep so taos air which is managed by the ski valley Flies from Carlsbad, San Diego, L.A. Hawthorne, Dallas, and Austin, and it goes direct to Taos Regional Airport. So it is a 30-minute drive up to the ski valley. We offer a complimentary shuttle as well as complimentary demo skis if you don't want to lug your gear around. Uh, it's a small plane, so it's got this private flight-like experience, and they're mostly in small regional airports, so you are not dealing with the long hassle of long security and check-ins. Um, and then you're landing right at a tiny town, which you can imagine means you're here. You've arrived uh, and we'll get you straight to the mountain. And you can obviously rent a car here if you want to rent a car and get to the, hit the road and drive up to Aspen or uh, a basin. I, as someone who used to drive a lot back and forth between Colorado, I'll let you know it is uh, a really nice ride, especially if you're going to go through Trace Piedras and take 285 up north. Um, it's beautiful. There's just, there's a couple passes you go through that are, you know, sunset time, absolutely gorgeous. Why wouldn't you want to do that ride? 
I love the 285 route. It's just so gorgeous. So uh, a little tip for those of you planning right now, look it up, Taos Air. That could be your gateway to ski, not just New Mexico, but also pop up to Colorado. Tanya, thank you so much for your comments. We're going to close it out with a little section that I call collective dreams. And I'm going to ask you just a few favorite things that kind of can help people to index their plans for the trip. And uh, first one I'm going to ask you about, and I know we've talked about many of your favorite runs up on the mountain, but if you had to pick one favorite run that did not include hiking what would it be on the mountain one favorite run that does not involve hiking sir arnold lunn sir arnold lunn beautiful and then how about one that does involve hiking what's your favorite hike on the mountain i believe i've said it a couple times already twin trees twin trees love it love it and then I know you have, actually, it was really interesting to hear about all the dining options on the mountain, but if you had to pick like your favorite spot, that just go-to spot where you want to go at the end of a ski day and have a beer or have some food, what would that be up on the mountain? I honestly haven't mentioned it yet. Uh Uh-oh. Will Um, you? I will. Uh, St. Bernard Deck. It's a popular hangout with locals. Um, It might not be end of day because it gets a little cold over there, but... I absolutely love grabbing a beer and hanging out on that deck. It has stadium-like seating that you can stare up at the mountain at. Um, It's a really nice, fun spot. Beautiful. And now the last question, and this is the toughest one. If you had to describe what Taos Ski Valley means to you in just one word, just one word, what would that one word be to describe Taos Ski Valley to you? Go with your gut. Freedom. Freedom. I love it. Tanya McCormick, thank you so much for taking us on a mountain tour at Taos Ski Valley today. We look forward to skiing with you this winter. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks again to Tanya McCormick for the tour of Taos Ski Valley. One look at the trail map and you'll see that you're in for a remarkable experience. We'll wind up our collective trek at Aspen Snowmass, where your first decision will be which of the four mountains to ski with your two days on the Mountain Collective Pass. Our mountain guide, Coulter Hinchliffe, was born and raised in Basalt, just up the valley from Aspen. He knows every inch of the four mountains and just loves to talk about his hometown. He's a pro athlete, and he's actually just as comfortable hanging from a rock as he is cruising around the mountains on his skis. Coulter will take us from Snowmass to Buttermilk to Aspen Mountain and on to Highlands. And if you're ending your collective trek in Aspen, you can even fly home right from there or drive back to Denver for the return. But now let's get up onto the mountain as Coulter Hinchliffe takes us on a tour of Aspen Snowmass. And we're with Aspen's Coulter Hinchliffe. And Coulter, thanks a lot for joining us on Inside the Mountain Collective. Yeah, Tom, thanks for having me. You really come from a great town of Aspen. I love going there. And we're going to talk a little bit more about each of the mountains at Aspen and give people some concepts on what they can do on a collective trek to this great and legacy resort. But give us a little background on yourself. I mean, I, I, and by the way, before you do that, I want to I recommend everybody go to Coulter's Instagram page to get a real feel for what this guy does. He leaves no stone unturned. He is always active. So give us a little sense of your background growing up in Aspen, this great mountain town, and where it's led you in your pro career. Yeah, thanks. Um, Yeah, I grew up in a town real close to Aspen called Basalt. It's just about 20 minutes down the road. 
Um, and I was skiing um, the Aspen Mountains from about the age of three onward. Um, and it's just a great place to call home and uh, ski. We've got four mountains, like you mentioned already. And, you know, every mountain has a little bit of a different thing going on. So it was a great place to grow up and uh, get pretty well versed on the ski mountains. So wh- which of the mountains did you grow up on uh, when you were starting out in the sport? Um, I grew, I skied snowmass for the most part um, as a kid. And through my high school years, I was mostly going to snowmass. I think part of that is because I was coming from basalt. Um, and it's just a little bit easier to get to snowmass. Um, and it is a bigger mountain. And they have the park there, which I was skiing a little bit of park back in my high school years. Um, and I still do a little bit of that. Um, they also have cliffs up there, so you could kind of get lost in the in the expert terrain and then find your way back to the park and do some tricks. Um, so it was a great place to to ski as a up-and-comer. Um, and nowadays, I ski Ajax a lot more, partially because I live in town, um, and it's kind of the most bang for your buck. It's just real easy. I can ride my bike or hop on the bus and be at the gondola in a few minutes, and uh, we have a 3,000-foot gondola that you can just do top-to-bottom laps on and get real strong and it's good fall line skiing. How old were you when you hucked your first cliff? Uh, probably t- seven. I don't know. I don't remember my first cliff to be honest. Yeah. Is that the kind of thing you could go home and tell your folks, uh, tell your family what you did that day? Yeah. I, I went off a cliff today. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, it was more like when I went off, like if I went off one, I'm sure I went off a whole bunch more. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> What was it that really captured uh, your fancy for skiing when you were young, when you were seven, eight, nine, ten years old? Was it the freedom of being out there, the opportunity, the adventure? What were the things that really captured that that spirit of excitement in the sport for you? Yeah, I think it was mostly the the freedom, like you mentioned. Um, I was kind of just it was almost like a babysitting service for my parents just to drop me off at the hill and let me. I was actually hop on hop on the local bus system and. Um, make my way to the mountains with my friends and um, just to be a you know a young teenager or even even pre-teenage years um, and just to be able to go out by yourself and ski around the mountain with your friends and do whatever you want and uh, you know so that that freedom and, and it was just so fun. As a pro skier today what are some of the things that you're doing I know you've been in films but what's a typical winter for you? Um, yeah filming is my priority I work with TGR out of Jackson. And, uh, that's like my main priority is going on one trip at least with them each season. And, um, that really ends up only taking, you know, three to four weeks of my winter, but there's planning involved. Um, and at this point in the year, we're already talking about where we want to go, but we don't have trips nailed down yet. So, um, a lot of the winters also just getting strong and getting in shape and, and ready for these film trips. Um, and then, you know, when other opportunities pop up, I like to be available and um, hop on them. So going on any trips I get to, to see new places and try to just be productive and, you know, keep my sponsors happy and keep my name fresh. Cool. 
you grew up in an amazing town uh, near Aspen and skiers around the country and literally around the world have Aspen on their bucket list. It's a great town. It has an old mining heritage, a, a wonderful ski town with great restaurants, great bars, and a great mountain right there. How would you characterize the overall vibe of Aspen, a place that it's a great little town, but it's also four completely different mountains? What, is, what does it mean to you and what's the vibe in this place? Yeah, I mean that's why I love it here more than anywhere else. It's um, like you mentioned, we have the mining history, and so Aspen was a, a town before it was a ski resort. So it feels like a town. It's got you know a, a nice layout and um, historic buildings and lots of places to eat and drink, and um, it's just a really fun place. And there's a lot more than just the skiing here, which I love because some places um, the only thing that matters is how good of a skier you are or something like that. And, and here there's just a, it's a lot more well-rounded, you know, you've got CEOs and billionaires and world travelers and ski bums and restaurateurs and, you know, just a lot of different people here. It's a little bit of a melting pot and it's a fun place to be. And then, you know, the, of course the skiing is what we're here for. And there's four great mountains. We get a decent amount of snow and, uh, the fact that we have four mountains keeps the crowds spread fairly thin and it's just, uh, it's a fun place to be. So with the four mountains, I know if you have a mountain collective pass, you have two passes in Aspen, so you can spread it out and pick whichever two mountains you want to, or you can stick around and buy a couple of extra days. But can you go through each of the four mountains and give us just a little snapshot of what that mountain is all about? Yeah, I, I'll start right with uh, Aspen Mountain in town. It used to be called Ajax. A lot of us still call it that, but it's now just known as Aspen Mountain. Um, and it's kind of like the skier's mountain. It's got 3,000 feet. Um, lap the gondola, really good fall line skiing. It's got bumps. Um, it doesn't have a lot of cliffs, but it's got, um, like I said, just good steep fall line skiing, um, really good flow to the mountain. And then, um, next one over is Highlands, which is a great mountain. It's known for the bowl and it, that's really the main reason I go there. And most people go there. It's a high elevation, 12,000 foot peak with a really good, um, Northeast facing bowl. Um, so it's a, it's a long hike to get up there about 45 minutes up to high elevation. So it's a really grand high elevation alpine experience um and this the bowl gets more snow than anywhere else so it can be some of the best skiing you know that you'll ever have if you catch it right um and the next one over is buttermilk which is uh, a little bit of a smaller mountain um and it's where they have the x games so it's a great place for beginners to go it's got a lot more green blue runs um, but it also has a really large train park and half pipes so um it's a fun mountain as well it's really good to skin up that mountain um, in the evenings at sunset, that's really popular or full moons. And then the next mountain over is Snowmass, and it's our biggest mountain. Um, it's a little bit more of a mellow pitch overall compared to Ajax, but it does have some steeper gullies with cliffs and things like that. So if you're looking to get kind of gnarly, that's a good place to go. Or if you want to go, you know, have a big mountain to explore with your family, that's a great place to go. Got a lot of greens and blues as well. Let's stay on Snowmass for just a minute. I wonder if you could take us on just a little bit of a mountain tour. So we've just come into town. You're going to take us up on your mountain. Uh, we've just flown in from the East Coast. Intermediate to expert skiers, what's a good run that you're going to take us up on to start that day at Snowmass? 
Um, yeah, I mean, Snowmass has this area called the Wall, um, Hanging Valley Wall, and it's, it's kind of this fairly large area with a little bit of a hike to get to it. Um, it takes two or three lifts to get up to the hike, and then a five or ten minute hike to get into this um, expert terrain that's littered with cliffs, um, and they get quite a bit of snow up there. Uh, it's got two or three kind of pitches. It sort of tears down um, with rocks and trees and cliffs all over the place. And um, yeah, if you're an expert skier, I'd bring you right there first thing to get the powder before it gets skied up. Um, it doesn't have a lot of like intermediate terrain. It's a little bit of a beginner or expert mountain, it's just the way it is. It's kind of like a, a lower angle mountain with these steeper gullies. Um, and if you're looking for more of that intermediate terrain, I would recommend Aspen. Well, let's go over to Aspen for a minute. This is the mountain uh, Ajax, as it has been called, called, and locals still refer to it that way. But this is the mountain that just comes right down in town. So again, same thing. First day there, you're going to take us up on the mountain. We've got a family of intermediate skiers. What's the call that day? Yeah, I mean, if if the if you're looking to ski bumps, um, kind of a classic run choice is. Uh, face to six so it's the face of bell which is um like a mountain a little mountain within ajax it's got its own kind of peak and it's got an old chairlift that goes to the top of it that you don't need to ride to get to the top of it um you can lap it from the gondola but it's got really good bump skiing down onto the face of bell it's really aesthetic and you can either take that farther down and end up kind of back at the bottom of the mountain or you can kind of catch it midway and then you hop on chair six um which is a really short two-seater that bumps you back up to another ridge line um, and then you can ski the dumps which are also really good bump runs um, and they're called the dumps because they're old mining where they used to dump um, the mining the mine tailings uh, and so that's a cool way to kind of get two for one with a, a gondola ride and, and then a quick two-seater ride you get two runs out of it um, and they both that'll dump you down into some really good steep groomers to get to the bottom of the mountain as well. So it's not over after the bumps. So that's kind of a, a classic line face to six to dumps. One of the things I like about Aspen mountain is the gondola. I don't know of any other place where you can get so much value out of this top to bottom gondola. Uh, any other run choices that you could give us off the gondola that comes right up from town all the way up to the top of the mountain? Yeah, I mean, the gondola will get you to anywhere on the whole mountain. Um, it's just, it gets you right to the very top and you can traverse um, to anything from there. Walsh's is a great um, steeper powdery run uh, off the skier's right side, the east side of the mountain. Um, it's a little bit of a shorter run, but it's nice and steep. And then it has a little cat track that takes you out. And, um, and then you have a lot more terrain below you as well, like out onto Gentleman's Ridge or um, even further out into like, bingo and, and places like that so um yeah there's there's a lot of terrain to work with on aspen and it's it takes a while to kind of figure out the flow but um those are some of my favorite choices let's head over now to highlands i know that's probably your favorite mountain of the group uh, again where are you going to take us on highlands that's going to give us a good experience yeah i actually prefer ajax overall but i do enjoy highlands and i really only go there for the bowl um nowadays uh the rest of the mountain is really good there is some good steep skiing off deep temerity chairlift uh but it it's pretty steep and long runs and the bumps can get pretty big and it it's kind of an ass kicker so if you're looking for that 
that's there for you. Otherwise, the bowl is, um, like I said, it's about a 45-minute hike to the top, really epic views, epic place to be, um, and really good skiing since it's it's a really big bowl. So it takes quite a while to get to get fully skied out when people have to hike 45 minutes to get up there. Well, let's go back to town, uh, Aspen Mountain and the, and the town of Aspen. Uh, it is one of the truly great ski towns of the world. Give us a, a little bit of uh, a tour through the town and some of the interesting spots or interesting restaurants that we might want to hit on a ski holiday there. Yeah, town's full of restaurants and bars. Um, and like you said, the Yonalik comes right down in, into it. So you can uh, literally ski straight into town and go right right to an opera scene, which is great. Um, the W Hotel is right at the bottom, and they've, they've done a good job at um, – creating a pretty cool opera atmosphere and there's a pool on top of that building um besides that there's a whole bunch of other restaurants around town um i like the pie shop i worked there this summer and i'll I'll be working there maybe a little bit this winter and they've got pizza and beers and um right on the park there and and good local specials and um that's a fun place to be um beyond that there's some really you know there's some fancier places to eat there's some sushi places i really like kenichi it's a downstairs um, sushi place, fun, fun vibes there. And, uh, Michola is a Mexican restaurant in town that has always got good energy. So those are kind of some of my favorites. Any favorite spots up in the mountains? Uh, yeah. Bonnie's is a great place on Aspen. It's, uh, it's been there forever. It's a really classic little restaurant mid slope. You got to ski down to it and they do breakfast, um, every morning till 10 30 and, and breakfast at Bonnie's is a pretty pretty classic thing you got to do if you go to ajax um and then gwen's over at snowmass is sort of another classic spot it's up mid-mountain up at high alpine and uh it's just got good vibes there cool well we're going to close out this segment of the inside the mountain collective podcast with a segment that we call collective dreams and a few questions for you to kind of index a few of your favorite things in and around aspen so if you do you have a favorite groomer run across any of the four resorts that uh, that you like to go to um yeah spar gulch is pretty awesome it's a pretty steep uh run for a groomer but it it goes for quite a ways, um, down a, a gully, it's Spar Gulch. Yeah, it's a gully, a gulch, and uh, it's kind of got a half pipey feel. Sort of, you can carve back and forth through this gully and go real fast um, for a thousand feet or more, um, ripping down Ajax. So I've been skiing that quite a bit already this year, and uh, it's it's always a classic. So for somebody that's coming out that's an expert skier and really wants to go home with something that they can brag about, what would be a favorite run of yours across the four mountains at Aspen that you'd suggest to them to make that your target? Um, I mean, I would say the bowl is sort of the the thing you kind of got to hit. If you're an expert skier, you got to experience that and it's good steep skiing. Um, and if you wanted to you know, get into more gnarly, technical, cliffy type terrain, I, I would send someone over to the wall at Snowmass. Do you have a favorite coffee shop or a coffee stop on the mountain or in town? Um, you know, they actually give out free coffee at the bottom of the gondola. Aspen Snowmass is really great about that. So that's, that's awesome. Um, you know, our coffee shops are kind of lacking here in Aspen, but, uh, I end up going to Victoria's, which is conveniently located near the gondola. Um, and they've got some good chai and, uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good spot. 
So if your sponsors from Marco Del, Del Bello Vocal come to town and they're going to take you out to a really nice dinner on their nickel, where are you going to suggest they take you? Uh, I kind of already hit on uh, Kenichi earlier, and that might be my, my choice. You know, sushi's always fun, and uh, that place does a good job of, of keeping it fun. And um, yeah, it's always a good night when you go there. And do you have a favorite local craft beer? Um, so Aspen Brewery started here in Aspen probably 10 years ago or so. And uh, now there's a uh, like a beer tap in town. It's called Aspen Tap. Um, and they serve all of their beers. And so that's a fun place to pop by and drink some some of the local Aspen Brewery beer. Cool. Uh, let's leave Aspen for just a minute. Craziest place you've ever skied? Craziest place? Um, I don't know. I do love Europe. I think it's pretty cool how you can ski from one mountain to the one town to the next um, using gondolas and chairlifts. And um, that's kind of like one of my favorite places to go. I'm going to hit you with one more non-ski question before we wrap it up here. Uh, you are also an amazing rock climber. Uh, is there any pitch that you've done that was just truly gnarly that you'd put up on your number one list? Um, yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, climbing is kind of a lot of a lot of it's gnarly. Um, but the Black Canyon here in Colorado um, is actually America's least visited national park, and it's this kind of big, deep um, black rock Canyon. that has got a r- river at the bottom of it. That's just kind of making this ominous noise all day. And the way you, you climb there is you hike in and then you hike down into the bottom and then you, you climb out and it's sort of just like on your mind all day that if you don't finish the climb in time, you're going to have to spend the night on the wall, which is never a, a good thing. So I've done a couple routes down there and they were pretty, pretty up there on, um, the scary gnarly level. Well, we're going to bring it back to skiing and right back to Aspen. You grew up in Basalt, just uh, up the valley a little bit from the town of Aspen. It's an amazing place with four different resorts, and folks can use their Mountain Collective Pass there for a couple of days. But if you had to sum up, what does Aspen mean to you in just a single word, just one word, what does Aspen mean to you, Coulter? In just one word, I would say Aspen is fun. Fun. I love it. (laughs) Coulter, thanks so much for joining us on Inside the Mountain Collective. We look forward to seeing you on the mountain this winter. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Look forward to seeing you out there as well. Wow, what a tour this has been. A Basin, Taos, and Aspen Snowmass. Now that's what I call a collective trek. You can do this three-stop collective trek from a variety of airports, including Denver, Eagle, Taos, and Aspen. Allow some drive time between each stop and do daytime drives to soak in the mountain and high desert scenery. A big thanks to our mountain guide, Zach Ryan at A Basin, Tanya McCormick at Taos, and Coulter Hinchliffe at Aspen Snowmass. Thanks for joining us on Inside the Mountain Collective. Watch for more episodes coming up soon. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. I'll see you on the mountain this winter. Are you ready to build your own collective trek? The Mountain Collective Pass is your ticket to multi-resort skiing or riding. Get yours today at mountaincollective.com. You'll get two days at each participating resort, plus 50% off additional days. It is the perfect pass to take just one trip and be able to ski or ride at multiple resorts. Build your own collective trek today. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. Thanks for listening, and make sure to subscribe to get every episode delivered directly to you. Watch for more episodes of Inside the Mountain Collective, and I'll see you on the mountain.